The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Welcome to a new episode of Sox Machine Live. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, alongside the managing editor of SoxMachine.com. It's Jim Margulis as we are streaming live Wednesday night, September 20th, 2023. And boy, if you missed today's afternoon tilt, between the Washington Nationals and the Chicago White Sox, you missed a phenomenal game. It was a doozy, and yeah, it was terrible. I'm sorry. I apologize. I'm hyping up a game that the White Sox lost by 10 to the Washington Nationals. And I had the wake-up call. So if you didn't get a chance to listen to the wake-up call, I warned you. I warned our listeners that it could be a high-scoring day for the Nationals because Michael Kopech was the opener. We knew Jesse Schultz was going to be pitching at some point for the White Sox. Those two have not been pitching well at all in the months of September, and it continues to get worse both for Kopech and Schultz, and it wasn't good for the bullpen at all for the White Sox. Uh, So, Jim, it's just uh, this month of September was supposed to be the easiest month for the White Sox of the season, and before they got Mm -hmm. to September – the White Sox had the second easiest strength of schedule in Major League Baseball. Boy, they are making—they're making everyone look like juggernauts right now. <laughs> yeah, they're the team that everybody is glad to see. And yeah, right? you know, when over the course of the five and a half months we've been watching this team, early on April, tough schedule, knew it could be bad, was worse than anybody imagined, but. Sure, tough schedule. You know, the the contenders are playing like contenders. Also, like the Pirates were probably the best they ever were. They cooled off eventually too, but they were playing everybody tough at the time. So yeah, that's like the worst case scenario, but the teams were respectable. Then like, you know, make him round easier. White Sox were 500-ish, June, you know, 500-ish. And then July, the wheels came off again when the schedule toughened up. So like the whole year we've been watching the schedule and saying, well, they're not even taking advantage of the soft spots really. So they don't really look like a team that is 
worth anything. And the AL Central is the only thing keeping them relevant. And sure enough, the wheels have completely come off. Um, Pedro Grifol saying, uh, you know, a month ago that, uh, you know, losing nine to one, uh, you know, some energy goes out and I can't, you know, that's unacceptable. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I will address that. There's the quotes. When you give up five runs in the first inning and four in the fourth or fifth and you're down nine to one, that's what kind of happens. And is it acceptable? No, but that's what happens. It's unacceptable because our job is to start the game and finish it with energy. And I will address that. Then the SpongeBob SquarePants uh, freeze frame. <laughs> well, one month later, they lose 13 to three to the Nationals, uh, making errors in each of the first two innings. And sure enough, it's just more of the same. And somehow Grafol's job is safe and they're bringing in more Royals in the front office that he can compliment. And round and round it goes. Indeed. Indeed. And we'll talk about those new front office hires in this episode of Sox Machine Live. We're also going to take a look at the MLB postseason races because after the series, uh, the midweek series for some of these key races, it just continues to heat up. And now it enters a discussion of maybe the Houston Astros don't make the postseason, depending on how things play out in the American League. We'll get to that at the end of the show. Uh, But just to continue on with the White Sox losing to the Washington Nationals, an update uh, on the take-a-thon standings, the White Sox still have the fourth worst record in baseball, but man, they're trying to hunt down the Colorado Rockies. Uh, they're just a game and a half better than the Rockies in the take-a-thon standings. <laughs> so right now, the, the White Sox have a 13.25% chance I'm sorry, of getting the number one pick in the 2024 Major League Baseball draft. Yeah, which team wants it less more? <laughs> clearly Kansas city doesn't want it. They've won three straight games. I don't know what they're thinking about. Uh, yeah, just wrecking Cleveland's chances at any miracle run in the American league central are pretty much clinching that for the Minnesota twins. The twins will probably be celebrating over this weekend, maybe as early as Friday, uh, their AL central division title, which congrats to the Minnesota twins for that. I suppose. Uh, good, yeah, I suppose. Good luck <laughs> in the first round. Uh, again, we'll be talking about how strong of an opponent the Minnesota Twins could be facing the first round. At least they'll be hosting that series. But yeah, the White Sox are 58 and 95. There's nine games left to go in the season. So in order for the White Sox to avoid 100 losses, they got to go five and four. And they have their last road series of the season at Fenway Park against Boston before coming home to face the Arizona Diamondbacks and the San Diego Padres. So I don't like the White Sox chances, Jim. Avoiding a hundred losses, we we might finally say after the 2018 season where they finished 62 and 100, that was the worst season in our lifetime for the Chicago White Sox. The first time they had lost a hundred games since the 1970s. Well, now we could say the 2023 season officially win loss record wise mm-hmm. could be worse than the 2018 season and take over as the worst season of our lifetime. Win loss wise. Yeah. And I mean, I want them to lose 100 games just because at this point, like if they somehow managed to lose 99, 99 wouldn't represent how bad it felt watching the team. Yeah. <laughs> like I want to see 103, 104 at this point, just so, you know, when you like kind of like, you know, I guess the opposite argument, uh, or I, I guess when it comes to a fun argument, like Mickey or sorry, Minnie Minoso going to the Hall of Fame, like, 
Minnie Minoso didn't need to be a Hall of Famer to validate everything he did in the game, but it's just very convenient to say, like, Minnie Minoso is a Hall of Famer, and then people can take that for granted to a certain extent and say, like, yeah, he's he must have been a great player, and then you don't have to do as much work explaining, like, how great he was. You can just have fun in doing it versus feeling like he's, uh, you know, getting the shaft somehow. In this case, the the inverse uh, situation, like, I want them to lose 100, 304 games just so you can look at the standings and say, yeah, that team – was as bad, if not worse, uh, than their record, watching it in real time. Uh, yeah, extremely unlikable. And uh, like the 62 and 100 team, like that was bad baseball, but it was rebuilding. They'd it sold was expected. Off all, it was expected. They'd sold off or they traded all their players the year before. So like the first, uh, the 2017 record was inflated by like having Jose Quintana around, having Todd Frazier around. And then eventually when those guys, uh, were departed traded um you know that that team's record took a nosedive and it continued into 2018 but they still played hard like this team is just mailing it in and (laughs) like it's kind of funny because like the thought process with some people saying well maybe you know gets wants to give pedro griffol a vote of confidence just so the team doesn't abandon him and what has happened? The team has basically abandoned him. So, like either way, uh, just uh, there isn't a whole lot of um, fire being generated by the unfired manager. Yeah. Again, we're bringing this quote up for those that just joined us in the live stream on YouTube, and for those listening to the podcast, it was just a month ago that the White Sox got their butt kicked, and Pedro Grafal was going to address that. <laughs> a month later, it's worse. I mean, it it was such a terrible watch. Like, mm-hmm. that game really defines Sox Machine. We watch the White Sox so you don't have to. And I know it's just joking around on social media and be like, wow, you guys are missing a great one. No, you weren't. Like, the failed rundown of the first inning, oh, gosh. It just, like, yeah. collapsed on itself. They couldn't get anyone out. It was, like, 4-1 to one in the second inning. And then they give up a grand slam, and it's like, all right, well, enjoy your Wednesday afternoon. If you're working, don't even bother checking the White Sox score. Uh, it's suddenly not going to get any better. And, yeah, the best uh, thing about like the, the best thing about the White Sox game was that when it came to like the Bears news that was <laughs> concurrently unfolding, um, I did not know that because like I was uh, you know putting my son down for a nap. I was you know getting lunch. I was watching the game on TV. Wasn't really following on Twitter or anything. Just had the game on kind of in the background as I was going in and out of the room, and so like as I was getting ready to shut down from the game and write the recap, all of a sudden I opened Twitter just to see if there are any quotes or anything, you know, I, I need to see going into the recap. And all of a sudden I see all the bears news. So I think that was the one benefit of the white Sox playing. Although I think yeah, I, I saw that John Greenberg was saying like the, that ESPN 1000 should have ditched the white Sox game <laughs> just for the ratings of covering the bears because yeah. like, you know, just, they just had to tolerate the white Sox being on the airwaves while 670 score is just, uh, just, you know, basically live streaming this mess and, you know, all mm-hmm. the rumors, you know, running around it. It was, uh, yeah, it was, uh, I guess the bears might've benefited a little bit, but I, I, that doesn't really benefit the white Sox at all losing the way that they did. They did. Yeah, I mean, John Greenberg's right. <laughs> he is mentioned a bit like, and we're done with this. We got or, breaking news out of hell as well. Yeah. Or we have technical difficulties with the truck at the ballpark. <laughs> um, we can't yeah. hear you. Yeah. 
<laughs> oh, sorry, folks. We're going to have to cut the feed from Washington, D.C. Uh, <laughs> yeah. What else is in the news? Oh, this is interesting. Uh, yeah. Chaos at Hallis Hall. The Bears news, just quickly touching on that, was like that crazy week we had a cover for the White Sox consolidated mm-hmm. to one day. <laughs> well, it's like it's like the April White Sox in terms of quality of play with uh, the White Sox week from hell around it. Like, it, that's just what, you know, uh, it struck me as like they're they're 0-2, but it feels like the worst possible start they can't possibly recover from. It's like you you can't lose a division in, uh, or you can't win a division in April, but you can lose it. Right. Uh, there's like, you can't win the division in week two, but you can lose it. Like, that's kind of how it feels. I'm not, I don't think that's a trope in uh, football, but it, like, it certainly feels that way with just how everything has gone uh, in the toilet. No, there, it is a thing. It's really difficult for teams that start 0-2 to make the playoffs for some weird reason. There's so, I'm not going to say there's so many games. Obviously, there's far more games in baseball. But, like, there's 14 or 15 games left to go in the season, depending on how far back you want to look at. But, yeah, teams that start 0-2 just trip over themselves and a lot of times they really struggle to recover. So that's your bears talk, uh, yep. and NFL talk, uh, as, uh, we're, we're aware of what's going on elsewhere in other sports. So let's talk about Chris Getz's new hires and wasn't expecting this type of news to be dropped during the Tuesday night game in which the white Sox were ahead. And then Brian Shaw gives up a three run Homer. And then the white Sox eventually lose four to three because Yohan Makata and Luis Robert are the only ones hitting in that game. And uh, yeah, Josh Barfield, Brian Bannister, Gene Watson added to the white Sox front office. And let's take a look at, at Josh Barfield first, Jim, because he was the first one to be announced to the white Sox front office and Josh Barfield is going to be assistant GM uh, to Chris Getz for the Chicago White Sox. He started off ex major leaguer, but as far as working the front office, he was a Diamondback scout. And then in 2019 became the D backs director of player development in charge of the Diamondbacks farm system. And Jim pointed this out on SoxMachine.com in his column this morning. The Diamondbacks farm system has been really good the last four years. They have been a top 10 farm system, and obviously they are reaping the benefits of building one of these top farm systems with the way that they're playing and still in postseason contention, and they still have some promise in some upcoming years. So Josh Barfield has done a very good job in Arizona with the player development side. And now he joins the Chicago White Sox. And Jim, when it comes to Josh Barfield, like what what's the hope here for the Chicago White Sox as he becomes an assisted GM? Well, you know, the tough thing about uh, the situation Barfield's coming into is that, you know, while you want to say, hey, you know, he's presided over some very good farm systems as farm director, you have him coming in after Chris Getz gets promoted uh, from right. White Sox farm director, basically to uh, GM, and he's presided over a very disappointing farm system. And the people who are supportive of Getz, or at least saying like, "Yeah, he might have a chance to be successful at this," are saying, "Well, you know, farm rankings really aren't a reflection of the farm director; they're more a matter of like who." Uh, stocks the farm system you know scouting and so forth so like that's one thing i wish that like 
you know, somebody else besides Getz were in charge just so I didn't have that kind of uh, conflict in my head trying to negotiate. Like, why is it true for one, not the other one? It's probably a case of, uh, yeah, maybe it is true. And Barfield doesn't deserve a whole lot of credit with what's going on in Arizona, aside from just, you know, being being a part of it, but also not driving the talent acquisition part. Um, my hope is that one, uh, you know, he's refreshingly independent of the Royals, which is nice. Like no ties there. He like looking at how the White Sox might have known about him. Like the clearest one is that he was with the Diamondbacks while Tony LaRusso was there. Uh, Dave Stewart was GM at the time and Dave Stewart was considered his mentor and Dave Stewart and Tony LaRusso are real close. So if the White Sox were looking for somebody, you know, that might've been a case of Tony LaRusso saying, Hey, I know a guy and making it happen. But, uh, with Barfield, like he's you know, young, 40 years old. So like all of a sudden the White Sox front office is younger. So hopefully mm-hmm. that means, you know, less stuck in their ways or they don't have ways to be stuck in more open-minded. So there's that. Uh, also, like if the White Sox are trying to get more athletic and in a way that actually matters, <laughs> like playing good defense, uh, getting on base, like the Diamondbacks have a very athletic team. Like they have so many outfielders that they're able to trade one of their plus defender outfielders uh, in Dalton of our show to solve their catcher problem. Uh, so they have uh, Jake McCarthy and Alec Thomas and Corbin Carroll in the outfield. And then they trade Dalton Varsho for Gabriel Moreno and Moreno is doing nice things behind the plate for Arizona. So like, even if he isn't in charge of acquiring the players or the draft strategy or the international acquisition strategy, what have you, he might at least know what it looks like, you know, whether players have it, whether they don't, the challenges they're responding to at various levels, he might have a sense of like, uh, this isn't good. Or in the case of like, you know, maybe if the white Sox actually, you know, do hit on, uh, you know, like, like say George Wolkow or something like that, like coming up and said like, yeah, we can push him because the, he reminds me of this guy, like having a little bit of uh, uh, some context independent of the White Sox, independent of the Royals that might actually help the White Sox determine what actually makes an athlete a good ball player. Yeah, really good points, Jim. And unlike the draft front, feeding into the farm system, I'm assuming Josh Barfield is going to be making that next step, not just paying attention and scouting your own system and providing recommendations or game plans for these players to develop into major leaguers. Now for Barfield himself taking this new job as assistant GM, acquiring those types of players. And it, it makes me wonder what kind of relationship that he could have with Mike Shirley, because Mike Shirley is responsible as a director of amateur scouting to be drafting these future athletes to be added into the White Sox farm system. And looking at the White Sox farm system, there are some athletes, Jim, but there's Mm -hmm. not a ton of athletes because the White Sox were aiming the last decade for more polished players with the exception of like Colson Montgomery, who was an athletic prep shortstop that they took in the first round and is their best prospect right now. But they kind of Mm -hmm. moved away from the prep uh, direction, even after drafting Noah Schultz, which you talk to a lot of people who cover as far as farm rankings across baseball, and they like Noah Schultz to be the second best prospect for the White Sox. They went the Jacob Gonzalez route because he's a polished college player, but as soon as Rick Conn and Kenny Williams leave, then you hear the rumors that you didn't really know who was actually in charge of the draft room. If Kenny Williams walks in and decides we're taking this guy, 
well, then you're taking that guy. Like, all the work that Mike Shirley may have done goes out the window. The guy that he actually prefers is not who they actually take. And so is life as a director of amateur scouting under Kenny Williams and Rick Hahn. That's why there's been so much shuffling over the 10 years that we've been podcasting together. <laughs> or, yeah, or Jeremy Haber, as Keith Law mentioned. Like, yeah, or Jeremy, Jeremy Haber, Haber randomly involved. And how will Barfield relate to Jeremy Haber is the question I have. In terms of like assistant GM is one over the other is Haber still around that sort of thing. Right. Haber's more of a contract guy, but unless he was a contract guy masquerading as somebody who knew something as talent, which, you know, maybe the white Sox did because they were so confused uh, as decision makers. So, you know, with the white Sox stressing, Chris gets is like the single decision maker, you know, hopefully, you know, he, his deputies underneath him are also like, allocated in a way that makes their divisions and their departments very clear. So with Barfield, I think he's more, I, I would say into the future that I'm assuming here, the future of acquiring more athletic players, feeding into the farm system, putting in well-placed development plans to take these athletic players and transform them into major leaguers. That is my assumption based on his past experience with the Arizona Diamondbacks and also another hire that the White Sox made. We'll get to him in a moment. But you listed this next hire in Brian Bannister, the son of former White Sox pitcher Floyd Bannister, as the most interesting of the three hires as Brian Bannister becomes the director of pitching for the Chicago White Sox. And this is not a new role for Brian Bannister. Uh, and he was one of the first ones in major league baseball is when Dave Dabrowski was running the Boston Red Sox gave Brian Bannister, the role of director of pitching development, with the Boston Red Sox and eventually got to a VP role within the Boston Red Sox. And then he took over the same type of role with the San Francisco giants starting the 2020 season all the way through the present uh, before now joining the Chicago white Sox as the director of pitching development. And in the book, the MVP machine, which I, have it right here uh, on mm -hmm. the desk as I was reading as far as the, the chapter, the conduit uh, there's a chapter featured on Bannister's early work with the Boston Red Sox and specifically with Rich Hill. And at that time it was revolutionary taking TrackMan data in 2016, this brand new technology sitting down with the veteran and convincing the veteran you need to pitch differently. You need to throw your curveball more. And seven years later, Rich Hill is still pitching in the major leagues, Jim, taking that mm -hmm. advice and taking the adjustment that Brian Bannister had him do. And uh, Hill is still in the majors. And one thing that I noticed in MLB Network in a past interview was last year is that Bannister really focuses on being ahead of the curve and implementing changes with the pitchers plan of attacks that no one else is doing. He never wanted to play catch up, especially with the Boston Red Sox and the San Francisco Giants. They wanted to set the standard. And we've been talking about this again, 10 years podcasting together. It's always felt like the Chicago White Sox are trying to catch up with everybody else in major league baseball. Now with this hire, maybe it's an opportunity that the White Sox not only catch up, but they can set new trends with Bannister in the fold. Yeah, it's like they're they're trying to catch up to where teams were and they have their heads down. They get there and realize like, oh, we're five years behind again because these trends have moved on. Bannister is like, I'm 
like going back to his playing days when he was the Royals, he was one of the first players who like was conversant in pitch FX and really dug into what he was doing. Him and Zach Greinke were, you know, Zach Greinke was you know, very arm talented, whereas Bannister, you know, his fastball was like 88. And so like they both approached in different ways. Greinke like using it to get the most out of his super talent and Bannister using it to try to just get by. And he had like five years in the majors, which is probably, you know, five years more, at least four years more than he probably should have. And another organization where he was never introduced to you know what he was doing and what made him possibly passable as a pitcher so he's had a long run in this and, and he's been an evangelist and the White Sox have had somebody like him in the farm system with Everett Tiford being that former player who really enjoyed this you know digging into numbers himself and enjoys passing it along like Danny Farquhar talking to him like I was asking him about like you know when he was a player and he was considered a future pitching coach. I said, like, it's one thing to say that, but then it's another thing to actually be responsible or have like a say in the careers of other people. It's one thing just as a colleague to say like, Hey, try throwing a curveball this way. And then another thing to say like, Hey, you know, you should throw this more because it's going to, you know, change your results and you need buy-in he said like buy-in is a lot easier than it was when he was a player just because the numbers speak for themselves and everybody knows at least a little bit about analytics being like you know uh, fastball moving up uh you know spin rates uh you know, kind of breaks and such that they need to accomplish on their pitches tunneling and so forth like everybody's conversant to a certain degree to where like it's no longer a real uh task to try to convince people to win them over on pitching counterintuitively the numbers say what they say and if the results uh, say what they say in terms of like a pitcher underachieving with what he has they tend to be pretty open-minded so like Bannister doesn't really have to reinvent anything here at the White Sox or you know I, I don't think he needs to change course too much it's just probably more of a matter of like the White Sox have always been very top down Don Cooper was like you know, the guy when it came to setting the agenda for the entire organization and who uh, even amateur scouting and pro scouting acquired bring into the uh, system. Like who, yeah, who could Don, to, he, who could Don Cooper teach a cutter to was mainly the, uh, the way they acquired guys. And then, uh, you know, with Ethan Katz, I think it's similar, maybe a little bit more collaborative. Uh, you know, Katz doesn't seem to be the kind of personality that Cooper was, but still like, you know, nobody is above Katz telling him what to do. And if Katz is going to keep his job, and I assume he is just because like Bannister and Katz overlapped for a year in San Francisco, Bannister was the director of pitching development. Uh, Katz was the assistant pitching coach. So I imagine they, you know, know each other to a certain degree and have worked with each other before and maybe enjoyed working with each other. Uh, you know, maybe cats gets more taken off his plates and is more about just managing the pitchers he has on, you know, the, the 13 man staff or maybe like the 15 man staff if they have a couple guys shuttling up and down and Bannister is more or less the guy who says like, I'm going to worry about everybody else and I'm going to be setting the to-do list or the plans of attack for the pitchers we just got. And we just, you need to be the guy on the ground working with these guys every day to establish what they do. Like, I think that's maybe how it will work. I'm curious what his title is going to be just because like the White Sox don't seem like the place to go if you're doing a lateral move. Like, yeah. So does he get like a VP? Does he get like a, uh, you know, assistant GM type job? Um, or is this like an example of like Chris Getz, 
you know, they overlapped with uh, with Kansas City. Is this a case where Chris Getz does have some personal appeal with who he's worked with and and you know who he's you know knows through the professional ranks? Like possible, uh, can't rule it out. So I'm very curious when he's introduced to see like exactly what he's doing, what his title is, and why he would go from the Giants to the White Sox when there really isn't a whole lot of professional reason, unless he just really like fixing stuff up. Well, he's going to have a couple of projects, right? Specifically with Dylan Cease and Michael Kopech and Mm -hmm. having to get these guys back on track. Uh, Dylan Cease might be an easier project than Michael Kopech. Michael Kopech's a disaster right now. Moving him to the bullpen has not fixed anything. If, If anything, it's made matters worse, and now I don't know what you do with Michael Kopech. So, out of these hires, I am excited to see what Bannister does bring into the fold. There's a lot of work to be done for the White Sox on the pitching front. Right now, they're just trying to survive and get through this season. And we'll see in how much money Jerry Reinsdorf is willing to give Chris Getz to add to the player payroll in trying to rebuild a starting pitching staff on the fly. Because, if, if again, if Jerry Reinsdorf hired Chris Getz or promoted Chris Getz because he did not want to rebuild and wants a quick turnaround with this thing back into contention. Jerry, you're going to have to spend money and you're going to have to spend money on pitching. You may have to spend a pretty penny on pitching, uh, depending on the kind of quality that Chris Getz will need to tell you and even Brian Bannister and what you're going to need to win the American League Central. But at the very least, with Bannister coming in, I'm just hoping that he can implement good habits because it just seems like some pitchers have taken advantage of either the resources the White Sox provide or going outside of the White Sox like Codify and try to use data to better themselves but it's really inconsistent it's 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 sporadic it's a, it's a few pitchers here and there but not everybody mm-hmm. i'm hoping that with Bannister coming in that the White Sox could just set a team standard that everybody in the pitching staff buys into it. And everybody takes this more seriously and uses the data to their advantage. Because, boy, the pitchers today, using that data, they're just finding that edge to just beat out hitters every single day. And it just seems to be an easier and easier game for pitchers these days even though with the high injury risk of what they do, that they're Mm -hmm. still making hitters look foolish and finding new ways to get them out. I'm just hoping that there's complete buy-in from the White Sox pitching staff in 2024 (laughs) and beyond. Yeah, it's easier, you know, easier and easier for pitchers, except if they wear a White Sox uniform. Uh, <laughs> right. It seems like this last you know, couple months. But, you know, we we can make fun of that. We can, you know, I certainly looking at the hires, uh, not necessarily Bannister, but definitely the guy we haven't talked about yet and just saying like, uh, you know, more former Royals, et cetera. But, you know, I think a Bannister type hire is if they want to turn this around as quickly as Jerry Reinsdorf says, and it's not that just Jerry Reinsdorf's lazy, and I believe that's more the case. This is uh, a hire that makes it easier to believe, even if you don't believe in like 2024 being a year worth anything, it's at least a case of just maybe some of 2024 will be useful. You know, if they have like a bad first half, by the second half, you're starting to see a roster come together or a pitching staff come together. That makes more sense to me than saying like, yeah, 2024 is going to be a year we can compete. But if they can make something out of it and get a head start, and here's where case where Barfield lump him in with just, uh, 
trying to get like the Brian Ramos, Colson Montgomery tier of prospects involved in the 26 man roster somehow by year's end. I could see a case where like these hires help 2024, even if it's not like a miracle turnaround that results in October baseball. If Bannister can help get Dylan Cease back on track and the White Sox are like 15 games below 500 still in 2024 at the trade deadline, then the White Sox can, I think teams would take it more seriously in their offers to Chris Gatz for Dylan Cease. And Mm -hmm. because he has another year on his deal after the 2024 season, you can get a Luis Castillo type of return if Dylan Cease gets back on track to what he was in 2022 as the runner-up in the American League Cy Young. Like, that's still a pretty pessimistic way of looking at 2024, but it, it could be a realistic route. So, I again, I am optimistic, and I am hopeful that Brian Bannister could really help out with the White Sox pitching efforts. The third hire, I don't know, man. So mm-hmm. Gene Watson joining the Chicago White Sox, and... Watson is Kansas City Royals through and through. Uh, started off a Kansas City Royals scout in 2006, was with the organization until 2020, becoming the director of scouting for the Royals. So he does own a World Series ring. In 2021, he became a senior advisor to the general manager of the Los Angeles Angels. That's not a great season for the Angels. In the last couple of years, Gene Watson has been the vice president of Major League Scouting for the Kansas City Royals. And one thing we know, that the Royals sure know how to scout major leaguers. Uh, I'm being sarcastic there. Uh, This is the hire that screams, we're just adding more Royals people to the organization. (laughs) And uh, this one I'm skeptical on. I'll I'll leave the door open. Gene impressed me with the major league baseball pro scouting make some great recommendations in free agency, but Gene sounds like the guy that's going to make the Salvador Perez trade happen. Jim, he really does. Yeah. In my opinion. That's uh, among the things that frighten me. The other one is like, it's a guy that makes Pedro Griffol feel more comfortable. And I think Pedro Griffol should be as uncomfortable as possible in his position right now, the way uh, the team is responding to him. But like, you know, just a guy that he knows and like he can flatter publicly and just uh, be annoying about it. But, you know, I'm imagining with like how young this brain trust is because like Bannister's in his 40s, Gets is 40, Barfield's 40, like pretty young for a new brain trust, a new like uh, crop of executives. So like if he wants to bring in somebody for veteran ballast to show the ropes to have like a little bit deeper of a network, then, you know, sure, shrug, you know, go for it. If it prevents Dayton Moore from coming aboard, like, I'm for it, but good point. With, yeah. With Watson though, like I got to know his name because of reading Royals blogs and saying like, man, like, yeah, sure. Like they, they went to JJ Piccolo versus Dayton Moore, but so much of the front office is still the same and they're getting worse and worse. And why are these guys still have the same jobs? And uh, sure enough, like Watson gets let go and then they hire the brave somebody from the Braves to be their director of amateur scouting. Uh, so like, it seems like they're trying to D Royals as the white Sox are adding former Royals. And that doesn't add a whole lot of confidence, but if it's just like a veteran to help uh, kind of like a veteran bench coach for a rookie manager, like if it's that sort of thing, then sure. You know, maybe we just will never hear about the guy and it's more or less fine, but yeah, just, 
I wish they, you know, Barfield and Bannister, exciting. Watson, like, eh, it's a lot of what's gone wrong. And now you have to brace the entire winter and hope that the Sal Perez rumors, uh, they're not just trying to find people who can facilitate a Salvador Perez trade. I still, I still think it's going to happen <laughs> in the offseason. So with the White Sox brain trust here, as you found out when you were in Birmingham, Tony the Russa is involved mm-hmm. and he is serving as Jerry Reinsdorf's advisor. So Tony is Jerry's guy. So Tony must be going around the organization and reporting directly to Jerry, uh, not d- reporting directly to Chris, or maybe he's giving sage advice uh, to, to Chris Getz. But this appears to be Getz's staff so far, Josh Barfield, Brian Bannister, Gene Watson, uh, so gets is still the point guy, but we do have new faces joining the White Sox front office. And uh, I'm sure Kenny Williams Jr. is not coming back, so we can miss on that whole Hamlet plot. Uh, but I was looking forward to it. <laughs> Poison in the air. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but we're we're starting to see a front office get together, and uh, they got some tough decisions that they'll have to make uh, in no, probably late October, early November, once the season ends again. After the World Series ends, the White Sox have 10 days to decide the future on Tim Anderson and Liam Hendricks with those contract options. So those would be the two big big decisions of Chris Getz's GM career for the Chicago White Sox, unless he surprises us at backtracks and decides to let Pedro Grafal go. Uh, but I don't envision that happening right now. We're going to take a quick break, but when we come back on Sox Machine Live, we're going to be talking about the Major League Baseball postseason races. The biggest acts are visiting Chicago this summer on top of all the baseball games and other great concerts, theater shows too. It could be quite the chore and headache trying to secure tickets to all of these shows and events. Buying tickets shouldn't be stressful. Use game time to purchase your tickets. Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for sports, music, comedy, theater near you. They've got killer deals on last-minute tickets, and their best price guarantee helps eliminate stressing over tickets. If you find tickets in the same section or even row for less, Game Time will credit you 110% of the difference. That's why Game Time is the fastest-growing ticketing app in the country. Download the Game Time app, create your account, and get $20 off your first purchase using our promo code SOXMACHINE. Terms and conditions apply. Again, create an account and use our promo code SOXMACHINE for $20 off your first ticket purchase. Game time. Last-minute tickets, lowest prices, guaranteed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. 
That's indeed.com slash blue wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Back to Sox Machine Live. All right. Talking about the MLB postseason races and keeping an eye on the scores right now as we are streaming live. The game at Wrigley Field between the Pirates and Cubs is insane. The Pirates are up eight to one. That score is now 11 to seven. Uh, is we're, we're keeping an eye on what's going on at Wrigley Field and, you know, just bring as far as the the updates and the standings. And let's start in the American League West here, Jim, when it comes to the postseason races. We talked about this in the last episode and just how intriguing the American League West has been. And boy, Baltimore went into Houston and almost swept the Astros. They were up one to nothing going to the eighth inning, but the Astros scored a run in the eighth and they walked off the Baltimore Orioles to salvage at least one win against Baltimore. But the Orioles very impressive going to Houston and winning that series and looking at the American league West. Now it is very tight. Houston only has a half game lead over Seattle and Texas. And as I mentioned, the beginning part of the show if the Houston Astros don't win the American League West and it ends up being like Seattle and Texas tied in winning the division or sharing the division title and the Toronto Blue Jays continue to keep pace where they're at, all of a sudden it is possible that the Houston Astros don't make the postseason. So it's a tricky situation for the Astros right now, but there's good news for the Astros. This weekend, Texas and Seattle play against each other in Arlington. So that'll help out the Astros as they get to face the Kansas City Royals. Uh, so great timing on that part for the Houston Astros. But the American League West, Jim, uh, again, Baltimore played great baseball, winning that series. Very impressive. But Texas is taking care of business against the Boston Red Sox. Seattle took care of business against the Oakland Athletics. Very tight in the last going into the second to last weekend and last week of the season. Well, the Mariners like have the definition of controlling their destiny because when you look at their last uh, three series, they play the Rangers, the Astros, and the Rangers. So basically, their entire fate is in their hands, which is going to be like white knuckle um, yeah, baseball <laughs> for. Because I'm looking at like the, the you know the uh, Astros have the Royals as you mentioned, the Rangers have the Angels for three games. So like each of them has a respite of a series, potentially a trap series, if you believe in that. Uh, whereas the Mariners just have to basically gun it for uh, nine days straight, uh, sorry, 10 days straight to wrap up their season. So uh, I'm really looking forward to following Mariners writers, Mariners bloggers, Mariners podcasters, just uh, the the wave of emotions they're going to be riding because like theoretically, like if they, you know, those first six games go great for them, all of a sudden, like the standings could look drastically different. So that's why I think what they're a fascinating part of this whole discussion is just how much they can directly impact uh, their final weekend of the season. And then again, bringing up the point about the Houston Astros and the situation in the American League. And this is what the American League wildcard looks like. Now, the Tampa Bay Rays are two games back of Baltimore. They're 93-59. They would be the fourth seed. But Toronto and Seattle and Texas being tied here. And again, Texas owns the tiebreaker over Toronto. Uh, so Toronto got to keep winning here. Uh, but the Blue Jays right now would be the fifth seed 
They're just a half game ahead of Seattle and Texas. And again, the Astros are just a half game ahead of Seattle and Texas. So all of a sudden you got, it becomes like a four team race where there's three playoff spots available. And unfortunately, one of Houston, Toronto, Seattle, and Texas is going to miss the playoffs. That's just the way it's going to unfold. And that's very intriguing going into the end of the season. I, I am loving the race in the American League, Jim, because man, just this past homestand, a lot of people were asking me while watching the White Sox being the White Sox, like, who do I like in the World Series? And I told everyone, obviously Atlanta, because the Braves have been phenomenal. But I feel like the way that the Houston Astros have been playing and everyone healthy now, that they would be the team to beat in the American League. It'd be funny at the end of the season if the Astros don't make it and they, they lose out on a tiebreaker or they fall one game short of making the MLB postseason. Like that's how tight and exciting this race is. Yeah, you said like, unfortunately, I, I say fortunately, like a good team <laughs> will be on the outside looking and not necessarily the Astros, but just the Any way team. I look at the the postseason is like kind of like people look at the Hall of Fame, like it's only as good as the best person out of it. And it's kind of the same thing with the postseason. Like it's only, you know, a postseason field's only as good as the best team that didn't make it. And if the Astros don't make it, like that's a very good, proven, venerable team that wasn't good enough to get in. So that means the rest of the field, Minnesota aside, I would say, is, uh, you know, among the best teams in baseball. And that's what you want to see. Yeah, I we had this conversation earlier this season about the postseason races and maybe making adjustments to the division structure. But then that was the whole conversation of, Oh, people in New York or Boston are going to scream if they have a better record than the team that won the American league central, but they missed the playoffs. Well, not the case. Uh, it's probably going to be someone in Houston, Seattle, Toronto, or Texas. I'll be screaming that their team was better than the Minnesota twins, but They'll be sitting at home while the Twins will be hosting a playoff series. That's just how the cookie crumbles. And speaking of cookies crumbling, let's take a look at the National League. Uh, and Arizona is just red hot right now. They have won five straight games. They are the fifth seed. We talked about this in the last episode. We like the Diamondbacks to make the playoffs, Jim. The Phillies are at 83-69. That's just a two-and-a-half game difference between Arizona and Philadelphia. I don't, I don't think there's enough games for Arizona to chase down the Phillies, but it's a lot closer than it was a week ago. The Chicago Cubs would be the 60. Now, again, I this is before tonight's game against the Pirates. The Cubs are currently down by four. So for those that are watching this later, if the Cubs don't come back and beat the Pirates... The Cubs would be tied with the Marlins. Again, the Marlins own the tiebreaker over the Chicago Cubs. So if the Cubs do not win tonight, even though they have the same record as the Marlins, this would flip in the wild card standings. The Marlins would be the sixth seed, and the Cubs would be on the outside looking in. And Cincinnati has lost the last two games. They're a game and a half back. They're 79 and 75. And when you have such few games remaining to go, you want to continue to try to be within two games to give yourself a fighting chance. So it's going to be tough for the Cincinnati Reds as they lose their series to the Minnesota Twins. And some bad news tonight uh, in mm. the, the Marlins game, the Mets game, Jake Berger uh, it appears that he may have been injured with a right quad in, uh, injury as far as uh, tightness is concerned. That's what it looks like on video. 
And that would be a that would be a huge bummer because we talked about it in our last episode and how Jake Berger's become like a a hero for the Miami Marlins as he's joined that ball club. And for the Marlins to lose someone like Jake Berger, that could really impact the race and that could be good news for the Chicago Cubs. But the White Sox here next week, when they come back home, they're going to be facing the Arizona Diamondbacks. So I guess the White Sox could play either spoiler or clincher <laughs> for the Diamondbacks. Like, that's the way it could really unfold after this weekend, Jim. Well, I was thinking, like, spoiler for the Cubs, the way that they rolled over for the Brewers. <laughs> like, kind of same thing of just like, yeah, uh, whatever, you know, makes, uh, you know, the chance of no postseason baseball in Chicago uh, more likely is the path we're going to choose. And so like, yeah, I could see them being like, yeah, just uh, let's lose uh, all three games by combined score of like 25 to four, which <laughs> could happen. Like, yeah. Here, yeah. Here's hoping in a way just, you know, to, to meet my 104 loss demand of just making the standings look as bad as the team was. Uh, yeah. Go diamondbacks in that regard. But yeah, if burger is out because we talked about it last week, like burger, um, providing the power that the Marlins sorely lacked and, you know, getting by with the run differential that they have and just uh, eking out games with a pretty deep rotation and a good bullpen that's better than their name suggests. And if Berger's out, like that balance seemed to, would seem to be thrown off. So mm-hmm. that would be a good news for the Cubs. And watching like Joey Votto uh, talking about like, this season and uh, what it's been like playing with this team. Now I'm kind of invested in the Reds a little bit. If Berger is going to be out, it's been like, oh, I, I've always liked Joey Votto. Wouldn't mind seeing him get to the postseason with this team, like being like the the elder statesman of a otherwise young and exciting team and see him get in the postseason one more time. Yeah, again, the Reds are a game and a half back, but they do own the tiebreaker again over the Chicago Cubs. And if you missed our last episode, uh, the Chicago Cubs own zero tiebreakers. In this wild card race. Uh, so looking at, again, the National League wild card standings, the Cubs uh, do not have a tiebreaker over the Diamondbacks. They lo- they lost a tiebreaker against the Marlins. They lost a tiebreaker against the Cincinnati Reds. The Cubs do not want to be tied with any of these teams for the fifth or sixth seed in the National League postseason because if they are, they're going to be out. Uh, so tough situation for the Chicago Cubs as they have lost seven of their last 10 games. And again, they're currently losing to the Pittsburgh Pirates, a game that Justin Steele started 11 to seven as that goes into the seventh inning. It's going to be a very fun weekend of major league baseball. Again, I know that the craziness with the national football league and there's some big games going on in college football as well. For many Chicagoans, you got Ohio state against Notre Dame this weekend in South Bend, Indiana. I know it's football season, but keep an eye on what's happening this weekend in the baseball postseason races. It was a fantastic series against uh, between the Orioles and Astros. I, I buy into the Orioles. Now I made a foolish Possibly a little drunk bet in November, Jim, 40 to one for the Orioles to win the World Series. And Mm. here they are uh, looking really strong right now, looking to be the number one seed in the American League. I thought it was a bet to win the American League pennant, but no, I have them winning the World Series evidently. (laughs) So uh, go O's. Uh, But yeah, it's again, lots of football this weekend. Obviously, with all the drama with Chicago Bears, people will be paying attention to you on how they perform in Kansas City. Uh, but continue to watch baseball. The races are awesome, and we just have nine, ten games left to go in this season. Yeah, just get to October. Get to October, get the White Sox out of the way, and you might like baseball again. 
Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I'm planning on hosting some watch parties on playback uh, because I, I need a cleanse, you know. <laughs> I just mm -hmm. I need to watch other baseball. I need to watch good baseball to get this bad taste out of my mouth. Because again, we love this sport. We love this league. Some very exciting races are going on. I'm not letting the White Sox spoil uh, my attitude towards what's going on elsewhere in Major League Baseball. If anything, it's enhancing it because it's like, well, the White Sox are down by 10. Flip it over to a game that matters. <laughs> yeah, and a lot of games matter. So exactly. It's enjoyable. Exactly. Well, that will do it for this episode of Sox Machine Live. Thank you to all those that watched along with us in our live stream on youtube.com slash Sox Machine. And if this is the first time you're watching Sox Machine Live or any video on our YouTube channel, please subscribe to our YouTube YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Sox Machine. You can also hit the like button as well on the stream. That helps us out. You can follow us on social media. We're at Sox Machine across all the platforms. You could also follow me there as well at Socks Machine underscore Josh. The audio version of Socks Machine Live is uploaded into our podcast feed, which you can subscribe to the Socks Machine podcast wherever you listen to podcasts such as Spotify and Apple Music. If you enjoy our work and you want more, you can get more by becoming a Patreon supporter at patreon.com slash Socks Machine, where our Patreon supporters get exclusive content, and they also receive ad-free versions of both the podcast and the website. Monthly plans start at $2, or you can save with an annual subscription. Again, sign up at patreon.com slash Socks Machine. Sox Machine Live is a production of SoxMachine.com. You're on for all things Chicago White Sox baseball and part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for watching and listening. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.